You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and in this episode, we have another hunter success story from a good buddy of mine, Jared Hook. On October 26th, Jared took a buck of a lifetime. It scores somewhere in the 170 range. He shot it on his own property uh, that he just bought a couple of years ago, so a really special buck, uh, a very special experience, and I tell you, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. Jared is just one of those guys who works hard, he hunts hard, and he's just a great friend. So it uh, really was a privilege to get to sit down and record with him. Before we jump into the episode, I've got a favor to ask of you, however. Number one, please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, leave us a review. Written reviews are super, super helpful for us. Also, head over and follow the Wisconsin Sportsman on Instagram so you can keep up with everything that we are doing. We're really excited about expanding and pumping out some more content for all of you over the next couple of months. And that's where uh, you can get all of our updates right there on Instagram. So uh, also feel free to reach out if you have questions, suggestions, or just to connect. I love to hear from listeners of the podcast. Finally, uh, we've experienced what I consider to be uh, really good growth over the last couple of months. Uh, we started this thing in May, and through November, the downloads were way, way higher than than I could have guessed or hoped for. And so uh, I did just want to say thank you to all of you who have been listening, and I want to let you know I want to keep the ball rolling so that I can keep doing what I love to do uh, and be sure that this podcast uh, is everything that you want this podcast to be. So one of the ways that we can keep that ball rolling, that ball of growth, is to uh, yeah share this podcast with your friends uh, on social media or with others who you think might dig what we're putting out here on the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. So thanks again for listening. Let's jump into the conversation with Jared Hook. All right, joining me for this episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is a good friend of mine named Jared Hook. Jared, how are you doing? Great. You took an outstanding deer this fall. 
buck of a lifetime. How are you feeling about it? Um, pretty dang good. I mean, it's just hard to believe that it actually happened. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about this deer uh, before the season even started. So when I got the text message that said, I think it said, I just shot Y2K and I'm freaking out. So, uh, yeah. Excited to tell the story on this podcast. So, uh, But a little bit first, sort of how we met. We met, what, the late fall or winter of 2019, I think it was. Maybe it was fall 2019, yeah. right before we so moved up. You moved to town, or you were thinking about moving in. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, moved up uh, January of 2020, moved here to Wisconsin, and uh, have gotten to know you pretty well. We've shared some campfires together, shared a couple of turkey hunts together. Yeah, that had was some, a lot of fun. Yeah, we've had some really exciting turkey hunts, which... Um, I still need to get the footage to you, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. It's on this little flash drive in my pack, so I need to get that to you. But anyway, so heading into the deer season, uh, you were watching a deer that's kind of a, a deer of a lifetime, like you said. But before we jump into all that, I do want to get just a little bit of some hunter profile kind of information. So uh, tell us who you are, what you do, uh, as much as you want to tell us about where you hunt. Well... Let me first say I'm uh, just your average Joe, and when you asked me to do this podcast, I was like, why would anybody want to listen to a podcast with me? <laughs> you <laughs> were know? a little resistant. <laughs> I kept at you. I mean, I didn't invent anything. I don't have a business. I'm not on TV. You know, I'm I'm just your average guy. It's what you get for befriending a podcaster. <laughs> yeah. But then as I thought about it more... Like, you know, I personally like listening to people who I can relate to. And I'm guessing mm -hmm. I probably represent a lot of the people. I'm similar to the people who would be listening to this. Yeah. So this is really just a, you know, your average guy's story that stuck with it for years. And finally just, I don't know if it's luck paid off, if, if I had a lot to do with it. But, <laughs> yeah, finally having some success was wonderful. Yeah. So I'm from the Oregon area, grew up here, went to high school, attended college at the UW, and worked for a company in Madison. I've been there 23 years. My hunting career started like a lot of guys, I think, who are passionate, you know, young, got a BB gun, chasing everything around, shooting things you probably shouldn't shoot, just having, <laughs> having a blast, spending your time outside. You know, we didn't have electronic devices to steal our lives from us. We were mm -hmm. out in nature and you know, enjoying God's creations and being kids. Um, went from that to a friend of my dad's was very gracious and gave me a browning bow. It was a compound, all wood compound bow, which I had a lot of fun with and learned how to shoot. I was shooting an instinctive for years. Um, had some success with it uh, first or second year. Didn't know what I was doing, but went out to some land in Lodi that my dad owned. Got out there late. Uh, didn't have a tree stand or anything, just sat on the ground. and had a nice six-pointer come by. Ended up making a good shot, shooting it. And I think my, my dad and my uncle for the first time were like, wow, you know, this kid can actually kill a deer with a bow. <laughs> um, so that got me pretty hooked. From there... Um, I had a, a good friend's dad who took me under his wing, and I referred to him as my hunting dad because my dad sort of hunted but wasn't really passionate about it. 
So I hung out with them and hunted with them a lot growing up for many years. We hunted in Adams County. Lots of deer up there, but the quality was not the greatest. But we didn't know the difference. We were thrilled to shoot a spike, a fork. All of them were trophies to us. We enjoyed that time a lot. As we got older and, you know, families and stuff, it got a little harder to hunt. And unfortunately, my good friend Jim ended up passing, which drastically changed my hunting life. All the trips that I took to Canada and out west were all with him. So that left a big void, which still has not really been filled. But about 10 years ago, I started to get a little more serious. And the first thing you have to do is to stop shooting the little bucks. Mm. And everybody should shoot whatever they want. You know, those first spikes and forks I shot were, I wouldn't give them up for anything. But goals in life changed. I wanted to challenge myself and started holding out and passing up some decent bucks, which, you know, when you start doing that, you ask yourself, what am I doing? <laughs> like, how? why am I letting that deer walk by? Yeah. And as your standards get higher, it gets even harder to do. But... I sent out letters to some landowners in the area, got permission to hunt a few places, started holding out and having more success. I've kind of built on that to finally, you know, a couple of years ago, buying land and, um, you know, continued that trend of trying to, to achieve a higher goal. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that process. Um, <clears throat> of beginning to pass on smaller deer and waiting for, uh, you know, something with a little bit more size to it because um, I'm firmly in that time period of my life right now. I'm starting to get on some decent deer. Um, I moved to a place with a lot more decent deer than what I'm used to, you know, growing up in in Alabama um, and hunting there. I could usually count on one decent buck encounter for the year. You know, we would start hunting in October. We would hunt all the way through the end of January, even the first 10 days of February. And I could count on one encounter a year, and it may be fleeting, and it may not even be that great of a buck. Um, You know, lots of opportunities to shoot does and, uh, you know, spikes or that kind of thing, but one decent buck a year. So how did that process go for you? You know, did you you spend a lot of years uh, eating tags? Did you, you know, what, and maybe what are some of the changes that you began to make in how you hunt? I always wanted to have venison in the freezer. Mm -hmm. So I would typically shoot a doe for that. And if I didn't shoot a buck, that was fine. Um, I did have a few years, you know, where I I didn't shoot a buck and I had to have tag soup, but uh, the does were always plentiful and that provided the meat. It's a growing process, right? We all, you know, we listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) At least hopefully you do. (laughs) Read magazines. Uh, buy more equipment and we keep growing in our skills and hopefully along the way I think it's important that we don't lose focus on just enjoying the hunt mm-hmm. you know if you if you truly enjoy being out in that stand it doesn't really matter if you're shooting a deer or not shooting a deer or if you're letting a medium-sized buck go because you just love being out there if you can kind of keep that as your focus you'll it almost doesn't matter if you shoot something or not because you just love. For me, it's just kind of a year-round thing. 
I love every aspect of it. I love the friendships I have related to hunting. I love working on the property to fix it up, uh, make cut trails, plant food plots, set up stands. Um, you know, shooting something is just kind of icing on the cake. And it's for me, it's really more a lifestyle. It's not an activity for a weekend. It's it's a way of life. You know, there's preparation all year round, and um, it's a part of life I really enjoy and sharing it with my friends. Yeah. That's I think that's one of the one of the several things that that I think um, caused us to hit it off a little bit because you seem to be as crazy about some of this stuff as I am. So uh, <laughs> you'll at least listen when I ramble on. Yes, us bow hunters know each other, and that's inevitably what we talk about when we <laughs> see each other. And wives just kind of roll their eyes and oh, walk yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, this place where you're hunting. I mean, it's it's a pretty special spot. So how I don't know how in depth or how in detail you want to go, but um, tell us about where exactly you're hunting. Well, I'm not going to give you the GPS coordinates or anything, oh, come but. On. <laughs> Uh, it's east of Stoughton, and it, it is a good area. And I was, like a lot of guys, looking for my own land for a long time. Couldn't really afford it. Had obligations with family and you know trying to raise kids. And um, just dreamt of having my own land. And I had talked to a realtor and asked him to send me emails when anything over five acres came up in the area. So um, for years, I would look at those and just couldn't afford it or whatever it wasn't the right place one day I got this email about 26 acres it was for sale and I was very interested and there's kind of a long story there I won't go into it but moved very quickly went and looked at it immediately and walked it made an offer and I went from wanting my own land wondering if I ever would have some to owning it in less than two weeks wow that's that was quick very quick. That's quick. And it worked out great. And interesting story about that. So the guy that owned it was no longer hunting, and he was letting a friend hunt it, so that's why he kept it. And his friend ended up passing away, so he decided to sell it. My realtor heard that one of his friends who had this great piece of hunting property someplace, didn't know where it was exactly, they had a lot of success on, had just passed away as well. And after working on this for a while, we put two and two together and figured out it was the same property. So here, my oh, realtor wow. was selling, or you know, my buyer's agent helping me buy this acreage that his friend had been hunting. Wow! So just kind of a, a interesting connection. Small world, there. yeah. Wow. So the the property is no longer twenty six acres. That's correct. So all I wanted was twenty six, and that's all I could afford, and it was. Didn't have a plan on buying any more, but right after I bought it, the neighbor, um, an older lady who whose husband had passed away, was going to move into town. She had an additional 77 acres, and I quickly realized as I learned the neighbors and what was going on in the area, doing my homework, that the 26 acres was wonderful hunting, partially because she was next door and didn't allow anybody to hunt her property. Mm, okay. It's kind of a sanctuary. Yes, it was. So when I heard she was going to sell, I got a little concerned and started talking to that family and couldn't really afford it, but asked him to talk to me before listing it. And we talked for months and I just decided to go for it. 
figured out how to make it work and bought the neighboring land as well. So now I have 100 acres, which is wonderful, hard to believe, and it's really a dream come true. Yeah. So how long did you own the 26 before you bought the 77 with it? Um, maybe nine months. Okay, so not not long at all. Yeah, not very long. Okay, man, so you went from zero to 100 <laughs> in kind of what seems like overnight. Yeah, yeah, it all happened pretty quick. That's awesome. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful property. I've, I've had the privilege of being there uh, and, and taking a look around. You've done a lot of work on the place. So tell us a little bit about kind of the terrain, how the property lays out. So it's, it's a great property because it's got a mix of so many different type of habitat. It's, it's got two streams that come together and go through the property. A lot of it's marshy, tall grass, good cover for deer, thick, which they like. But there's along the creeks, there's some tall, mature trees. There's four fields, small fields. Three are being used for my tenants for their uh, pasture for their horses, but one of them that's isolated is about four acres planted this year for the first time in soybeans, so I do have a food plot now, which is nice. Um, there's two 10-acre patches of pine trees that are in CRP, so there's really a mix of habitat and a lot of edges and variety, and I, from what I can tell, it seems to be what deer like. Yeah, it's extremely diverse <laughs> from what I've seen and from looking at, you know, aerial the aerial map that you showed me of it. So um, when we say this place is 100 acres, it I'm guessing it hunts much bigger than a 100-acre patch of open hardwoods would hunt. Yeah, I, it feels bigger, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So leading up to this year, um, you've been hunting it for a couple of years now. You've had some success on it. So tell me about sort of what your experience has been on this property uh, before now, like what kind of, what are the quality of, of animals that you've taken? Well, you know, a, a piece of property, a key thing is its location, and there's some good habitat around my land. If you if you have a great small postage stamp and there's nothing around it, you know things can change change quickly. Or if you start harvesting deer there's nothing else moving through it's so one great thing about it is it's surrounded by some other good marsh and and hardwood habitat um i knew right away the quality was good the first year i hunted i i kind of scrambled i had to move quick and didn't have stands set up and stuff and there was a buck that i nicknamed splayer that i was after and i had a couple close encounters with him didn't get a chance to shoot him, but um, there was another buck that showed up during the rut, and I nicknamed him the Democrat because his rack was beautiful on the right side and kind of messed up on the left. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a bully. He he moved in, and I witnessed him a couple of times chasing some other nice bucks off those, and I just decided it was a buck I didn't want around and ended up getting the opportunity to shoot him. So first year it was... Nice buck. He was a six-year-old buck, mature, but not the best rack. But that was fine. I, I enjoyed that. And last year, again, was after that buck I named Splayer. Only saw him once and didn't get a chance at him. But there was another buck that showed up that was a large six-pointer, you know, Pope and Young quality six-pointer, no brow tines, very tall, kind of a unique deer. And I had the funnest fall 
the bow season of my life. I played cat and mouse with him for a couple of weeks. He was tending does in about a five-acre area, and I was nipping at the edges, you know, kept seeing him, getting close, close encounters, and he finally made a mistake, and I capitalized on it. Mm. So you say <clears throat> Pope and Young quality here. Did you score the, the six point? I've not had him officially scored yet. He's right on the verge. He's about 125 inches, which, you know, in terms of bucks isn't necessarily a lot, but for a six-pointer, that's a lot of inches. Yeah. So. He looks he looks gigantic <laughs> yeah. when you see him. I mean, beautiful, beautiful deer. Um, so are, are those the only two that you've harvested off of this property so far? Uh, previous to this year, yes. Okay. All right. And so then this year, uh, there's a pretty special buck that you were able to put on the ground and um you knew about him before this year obviously so uh, you called the deer y2k why don't you tell us a little bit about why you named the deer y2k and then what kind of history you had with him going into this season i like a lot of hunters it's just fun to give bucks names they have you know cute meanings or or i don't know there's a lot of different reasons we give bucks names but it gives us a reference to know which buck we're talking about with friends and stuff. This guy had two splits on the left side that looked like big letter Y, so that was kind of a no-brainer. But it's also because it's kind of a buck of a lifetime, and you know, this, uh, it's not buck of a century, but it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime chance, so it just kind of fit in a way to call him Y2K because changing centuries happens once in a you know, blue moon. Yeah. Um, so. That's good. So when, when did you first uh, become aware of this deer? Well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know about that he was going to show up on my property. Somebody had sent me a picture of that buck during the summer. I didn't actually even know where the picture was taken. Just thought it was a nice buck someplace, you know, it wasn't until after I harvested the deer that I realized and went back and looked that that was the same deer. Okay. Which is an interesting point to figure out that he was summering about a mile and a half away. Wow. But he didn't show up on my property until around the beginning of October. Started getting a few game camera pictures, and usually I've been out in the stand a few times by then. This past fall, that didn't happen. Just life was busy. When I started getting those pictures, though, that got me pretty amped up for the season. It's really looking forward to it. Um, and I started hunting around, I think it was around October 23rd and actually laid eyes on Y2K. So he was summering a mile and a half away, which is crazy. Like that's, that's a long way, but, but not unheard of. Tell me about sort of this buck's temperament and how he behaved on your property. Like, was he a homebody? Was he... Was he in and out? Was he traveling a lot? Like, what was going on when he when he finally did sort of move into your neighborhood? Like, how did he act? As far as I can tell, he was pretty much staying on the property. Okay. Uh, I'm sure he wandered off at times, but he was around quite a bit. And temperament, I'm not too sure. I got to witness, um, I was watching a, a nice 10-pointer that came in one evening and what was so impressive is when Y2K stepped out in the field, that 10-pointer, it was pre-rut. He didn't, he didn't posture. He didn't look like he wanted to fight. He actually saw Y2K, turned, and left. 
So <laughs> giving him <some> space. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "I'm out of here. He's too big." Wow. Um, so I didn't. I never saw him, you know, fight or kind of how he acted around other bucks. Um, and I got him early in the season, but what he was doing was taking inventory, is what I'd describe it as. Mm. Um, a couple of days before I got him, I saw him that what we were just talking about, and then the next day I checked several cameras. I don't use cell cameras. I use you know, cameras where you have to go pull the SD card. So next day I went out and I pulled a bunch of cards and figured out that he was doing a loop around the property. And in fact, one of the cameras showed that he walked past the camera 10 minutes before I got there to pull the card. So I almost stepped on him. I don't think I bumped him or anything, but that really kind of woke me up like, wow, I was that close to him and didn't even know it. Yeah, yeah. But he was doing a loop around the property, it looked like, just checking out all the does. So I kind of jumped ahead that evening to where I thought he would be, and it worked. I saw him for the second time. He came through again, just kind of pushing does and checking things out. Um, not close enough for a shot or anything, but it was pretty thrilling just to see him again. Yeah. So you had a pretty good, pretty quickly you ended up with a with a sort of a pre-rut pattern on this deer. So one of the things that, that I've liked hearing from you, uh, just as we've talked in our conversations, is about sort of how you hunt your property. You're very strategic. You're very, uh, you know, coming in from the edges, not not a lot of disturbance to the core of the property. And, you know, with 100 acres, it's really how you need to be. I'm, I'm, I hunt a lot of public land, so I'm, you know, if I don't get there, somebody else will beat me there, you know, kind of mentality. Uh, so tell me about, I, w- I want to hear a little bit about sort of why you, um, how you approach your property. And then when it comes to the trail cameras, how many of them are you running the, running? And then what kind of places are you running them in? Because you, you went from no pattern on this deer to a pretty solid pattern that's putting you on them in a day. So, I mean, that that's pretty fast. So tell me kind of about how you're approaching the property and how your cameras are laid out. So my hunting philosophy, and everybody's got their own, is and there's no right and wrong. And I'm not sure. saying my way is the way to do anything. We, we all hunt how we enjoy hunting. And my philosophy has been to hunt as hands-off and uh, least intrusive as possible. All the way down to I don't use scents. I do very little calling. I don't do any rattling. I want to be invisible. I don't want the deer to know that anybody else is out on that property. And very careful with scent. Cameras go typically near stands, partially because I want to see what's going by the stands in that area. But I don't want to be walking all over the property just to check a camera. You know, you go in, and I only check them once in a while when I go to that stand to hunt. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can sneak in and sneak out. So I don't have real-time intel on the deer. Uh, it just so happened that I, I decided after seeing that big buck to go check a bunch of cameras just to hopefully aid in understanding what he was doing, and it, and it did help. Mm. All right, so how, how many encounters did you end up having with this deer before you ended up taking him? So the, time, the, the morning that you shot him, was that your third that is correct. Third encounter with him? Yep. Okay. So the the second time you saw him, you said he just came out checking does. Any other bucks around? Like what other kind of movement had you seen that evening? Was it was it one of those evenings that you could tell like things were about to pop off or or was he just kind of this is his area and he's Um 
you know, we all uh, bow hunters know that there are certain days you need to be in the stand, and the problem is you don't know which days those are going to be. Mm. And that Friday and Saturday, whatever it was, the weather, the moon, I don't know, the deer were moving everywhere. It seemed like every deer in the property was up and about. I would see so many. I thought, oh, my gosh, I I need, I definitely need to harvest some does here because I had <laughs> too many deer around. But I didn't actually see Y2K interact with any other bucks. I just saw him pushing a, a doe around, you know, kind of checking her out. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of activity for those couple of days. And then the next day, it all went quiet. You know, you go back to the same property, sit in some of the same stands, and see virtually nothing. And it's, as hunters, we ask ourselves sometimes, like, how is that possible? Where did they all go? What's What changed? What's going on? You know, and it's not from pressure of hunting or anything. It's just whatever the circumstances are with the weather or temperatures, who knows what it is. But there was an obvious drop-off for a day or two leading up to the Tuesday morning that I ended up harvesting Y2K. Okay. Were, you know, going into the season or, or when you first started getting pictures of Y2K, were you thinking like it's this deer or nothing for you? Or were you thinking, man, this is such a special deer, like my odds of getting him are super low, so if another mature deer walks by, I'm going to take him? Well, you know, you never want to pass. I mean, if some mysterious deer you've never seen before comes by and he's a monster, you're going to shoot him, but that's usually not going to happen. Um, I pretty much had my heart set on him, and it did prevent me from launching an arrow at, a, at that 10-pointer. Okay. Um, it would have been a quick, difficult shot, which so I, maybe I wouldn't have taken it anyways, but knowing that something special is around definitely is worth holding out for, especially early in the season. You know, we maybe our standards change a little bit as the season goes on. It gets towards the end. We might sort of settle. You know, I even hate to say that that way, but but if you want some venison and you know, you know, kind of the caliber of your deer, you might end up lowering your standards a little bit during the season. Yeah. So the the caliber of the deer, other deer that are on the property or were on the property at that point of the season, was there, I mean, it's a pretty big gap between Y2K and the next guy down? Yes, except for the one I've been after for the previous two seasons, uh, Splayer. Okay. I didn't know if he was still around. I didn't know if he was going to be bigger. Um and I had been after him for a couple of years, so that was the other one that I was hoping to see. And he did end up showing up on camera once the whole season. I got a picture of him, so I knew he was alive. But he's getting so old that he was actually a little bit smaller than last year. Was he really? Wow. Yeah. Do you do you think any of your, like, do you know of your neighbors getting any pictures of him? Or is he just not that a I'm aware of. wily old thing? Just yeah. Hanging out in the marsh somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, all right, so let's let's fast forward then to the morning where you took Y2K. Um, tell me how the hunt goes down. You got in there pretty early in the morning, I'm guessing, or was, this was what October 26th. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So October 26th. Uh, walk me through the hunt. So I was planning on going to work that morning. You know, we all because we don't know which day is going to be the hot days. You just get out there as much as you can. At least I try to. And I was going to hunt for an hour and a half and get to work. And it, it didn't work out that way. I ended up having to take the next two days off, <laughs> um, which we'll go into. But um, 
got in the stand about gray light and had some good deer activity around, I looked off towards what I call the sanctuary, which is an area of my land that I rarely go into. It's probably 20 acres or so, and it really seems to help with giving the deer an area they're comfortable in and never get disturbed. Um, and I saw a big-bodied deer come out of there, got the binoculars on him, and he put his head up, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's Y2K. I can't believe I'm seeing him a third time. Mm. It's amazing. He was angling to the northeast away from me and wasn't going to come my direction, I didn't think. So I, like I said, I don't do much as far as calling, but if I have that kind of situation, I will grunt once or twice and see how a deer would react. So I grunted, and God decided to be very gracious to me. A few seconds after I grunted, two small bucks came chasing a doe out from behind me out of the pine patch, and they started running circles around my tree. Mm. So right after Y2K heard that grunt, he did stop and he looked. He heard heard that commotion with all the deer running around and turned and came straight towards me. Okay, so you, do you think he would have responded and come in if he hadn't heard those other deer? I think he would have reacted like bucks do nine times out of ten and then kind of looked and just for a second and then walked away. Wow. All right, so two smaller bucks come in chasing a doe around he stops turns looks and starts heading for you and what are you thinking in that moment i still didn't think i was actually get a shot because you know you hunt for your whole life and the odds of something like this happening and it going perfect like you scripted it just doesn't happen mm. so i still thought oh, this is really cool i'm get to watch him again but wasn't thinking i was actually going to get a shot but he kept coming and started to interact with the little bucks, kind of smelling each other and stuff. And the How last, far is he at this point? He's probably 50 yards and in some thick brush. And I'm up in a pine tree where I have some openings and I can see to the sides in front of me, but I'm looking through openings. I, I don't have a full view, so it's a little hard to see at times. And I lost track of which deer was which and was looking with my binoculars. I didn't even have my bow in my hand yet, which I probably should have. Um... And one stepped out closer, and I realized it was him. Oh, my gosh, you know, why don't I have my bow in my hand? So I <laughs> grabbed my bow, which was right in front of me, easy to grab. But it all happened kind of fast, and, of course, it was a massive buck. So my right hand started to shake as I was trying to get the release on the string, and I missed the loop as he starts walking through the first opening where I could have shot. And I thought, you know, your mind's going really fast. But I thought, did I just miss my only opportunity? Oh. So that kind of rattled me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he cooperated quite nicely, walked upwind of me, and continued to walk to get closer to the, the doe that he was trying to check out. And I ended up walking by broadside, 15 yards, easy shot, and I drew at a time when he didn't see. And the last three or four steps he took, I kept saying in my head, I can't believe this is going to happen can't believe it i'm gonna get a shot <laughs> like this doesn't happen to, after 37 years of bow hunting this just you know you don't really ever expect it to actually happen um, and i've always kind of wondered how i'd react if my you know you just don't know until it happens is my body gonna shake so bad from buck fever that i won't be able to draw my bow <laughs> or yeah. am i gonna be calm and collected and and so know, what are you are you somewhere in between? Somewhere, but okay. Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't sound like you're totally losing it yet, but it also no. doesn't sound like you're just you know ice in your veins. 
and uh, ready to put it on him. Yeah, uh, somewhere in between, definitely. <laughs> I, was, I was excited for sure. Um, I don't like to grunt to stop bucks because I feel like it puts them on alert. And I like the arrow to go through them before they even have a clue what's going on. Mm. But he was moving, and just because he was big and buck fever, whatever, I didn't move with him. You know, I shot more like he was stationary, so I ended up hitting him back a little bit, um, which I'll forever beat myself up about not making a better shot. It was a killing shot, and it, it worked out. But at that moment, bow hunters can relate. You know, you want to be over the moon excited because you just shot the biggest buck you've ever shot. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, you hit it someplace where, eh, is that a good enough shot? You know, how quick is he going to go down? So I was really, I had mixed feelings about it. I was excited, but also a little afraid that maybe I messed it up. Yeah. How did he react to the shot? He mule kicked, just kind of, you know, I don't know if it's a wives tale or not if that's good or bad it's you generally hear that's good but he kicked and he ran and then it got quiet and i couldn't because of the mode path couldn't hear anything so i didn't know if he ran and went down uh, he didn't go north and go south so i didn't have much to go off of uh, as far as how he reacted most deer you know you shoot and you can watch him for a little ways but because of the pine trees i lost sight of him very quickly okay what what kind of so you hit him? You said a little bit far back. What kind of uh, broadhead are you shooting at this deer? You know, that's uh, in the hunting world here lately. It has been uh, back and forth. Uh, people on both sides of the fixed or mechanical broadhead. Uh, I think depending on where you hit the deer really determines what kind of broadhead you want on there. So what what kind of broadhead are you shooting? I shoot the Rage, the two inch, and okay. I've had very good luck with them. Um, I think I've harvested a few deer because of them that I maybe would have lost. Okay. The main reason I shoot them is because I've had difficulty getting my setup to shoot good with fixed blade. I just can't get sure. the arrows to fly consistent. Yeah. And I think shot placement is as important as anything. Um, and those broadheads, you know, with that two-inch cut, usually it's pretty gruesome, the blood trails you get. Yeah, and if you do get an iffy shot, they seem to do the job too. So that's right, especially if you hit them far back. If, if you're if you hit them a little bit far back, you want as big of a hole as possible. You might want a big, heavy fixed blade if you hit them square on the shoulder, but pretty much anywhere else you're going to hit them a big yeah. expandable. It's going to do you pretty well. Yeah. So all right, so the deer runs off. You lose sight of it. You're thinking what at this point? You're you feeling pretty good about recovering or I'm thinking I need to wait a while. And right. you know, that's when I started texting some friends and, um, sharing the news, you know, and careful. I don't want to say I, I killed a deer cause I don't know if I did. And I'm a little bit nervous, but talking to some friends, kind of sharing thoughts on how long should I wait? Uh, one friend suggested calling a guy in town that's well known for, tracking wounded deer with a dog and i i know they're experts at kind of reading what happened and giving advice on best thing to do so i contacted that guy and had a conversation he suggested waiting quite a while which you know that's hard when you it could be laying 100 yards away dead and the advice is to wait at least 12 hours 
That's killer. Yeah, that's that is a long time. And what time did you shoot the deer? <laughs> uh, about seven in the morning. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So the advice was it was likely a killing shot, but it just it might take some time. You know, if you do hit him in the guts or something, which I didn't think I was that far back, but sepsis is what will kill the deer eventually. It just takes a little time. You don't want to push them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you ended up calling this guy. He said to wait. What did you do in the meantime? I went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> did you track Did you track the deer at all, or you just no, immediately backed out? No, just because I didn't want to mess anything up for if, you know, if I did have to have help from a dog tracking. I waited in the tree for an hour. I got down, and I snuck out as quiet as I could. I didn't even walk over to where the arrow was laying because I didn't want to mess up the scent at okay. all. You could see the arrow? Yeah, the arrow okay. was laying uh, loose on the grass, which was interesting because it didn't, as far as I could tell, arrow didn't hit any bone or anything, so it should have been stuck in the ground solid, mm-hmm. but it was laying loose on top of the grass. Interesting. Okay. All right, so you back out, you come home, wait a while. When do you finally get back out to track this deer? Yeah, so I did my best to keep distracted did some work around the house, went out to the farm, did some work, and um, a couple guys showed up an hour before dark. We wanted to have some daylight, but we wanted to wait as long as possible. Yep. So we started looking and figured out what direction it went, and wasn't a lot of blood. There was a decent amount initially, but it petered out pretty quick. And it got dark, and we were struggling with you know just using lights and stuff to figure out where we went. So we decided to pull out till morning. One key thing, though, is I decided to go check a couple cameras in the direction that he went. And again, because I used SD cards, didn't know anything till I got home. So I come home, put the cards in, start looking on the computer, and here I have a picture of Y2K walking right past one of the cameras about 10 minutes after I shot him. Okay. So that told us where he was going and confirmed where it hit you could see the exit hole on the on the lower side yeah was this a camera that you'd gotten y2k on before um no it was not okay okay yeah so you get a picture of him walking past you kind of have a little bit of a bead on the direction that he was going you guys had sort of called it off uh that evening you go back the next morning and what happens well that night you know we're communication with um, the dog tracker guy and you know very helpful in talking through what next steps would be and kind of debated if I should go hunt the next morning thinking maybe he'd still be alive and I'd see him from the stand or something so that's what I did and I went uh, ahead of the direction he was going and didn't see him that morning if if the marsh marsh grass was shorter I would have been able to see him from that stand mm. Um, but of course couldn't. So hunted for a couple hours. Uh, the guy with the, the dog came, we started looking and we found him about 40 yards past that camera. Man. And what was amazing is he walked past that camera. The video showed him walking like he was out for a stroll, nothing wrong, but he was piled up 40 yards past that. And he probably covered that distance in about 15 seconds. Man, that is wild. Yeah, you you sent me the video, and when I saw the deer, I was like, uh-oh. I mean, because he just, 
He looked like he might have been a little bit hunched up, but he didn't look like a deer that was about to keel over. Man. I mean, he he looked like he was on his normal daily path. Maybe yeah. not feeling too good, but but certainly not about to die. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it too. Man. So how how long do you think he like how quickly do you think he expired? Do you think he just bedded down and died pretty quick? There were two videos on the camera. One of them you could almost see him to the point where he went down. So I think it all happened pretty quick. And it didn't look like he was bedded down. It looked like he fell over when we found him. Really? Okay. Yeah. Man, so he was just a dead deer walking at that point. Yeah, I think so. Wow. All right, so you find the deer and the celebration starts. Like, what's that moment like for you when you get there and you, I mean, you find him? just past the camera essentially well to say you're relieved is the understatement of the century um, you know get an opportunity like that you are afraid one of your biggest fears is you get one chance like that that you're going to mess it up yeah and i felt like i did sort of mess it up and like i said i'll always beat myself up for not making a better shot but in the end it worked out he, he made it probably Three to 400 yards from where the shot was taken and huge sense of relief once yeah. we found him. Yeah. Dead in 15 minutes. I mean, yeah, pretty quick. I would probably. say about 15 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So w- what did you learn <clears throat> about the shot? So looking back on it, you said you're beating yourself up. I mean, is there, is there really something that you could have done different or is it, you know, were you shook up? Did you, did you catch your sleeve? Is there anything that you can identify that you're like, Hey, this is, this is what happened or everything was executed good except for keeping in mind that he was walking he wasn't walking real fast but real steady okay and if you're not going to grunt and stop him you got to be tight to the shoulder to compensate a little bit not a lot but when i aimed i aimed for middle mass basically and with his movement it just it ended up being a little too far back yeah yeah. So I just, I've done that many, many times. That's how I hunt for years. Just, I think because of his size and being, having to grab my bow so fast and not being able to get a release on just kind of shook me for a second. Just forgot that I needed to do that. So um, my goal for next year, because a lot of people have asked, you know, how do you top this? And I probably never will. It's probably the biggest buck I'll ever shoot. But my goal for next year is to get a nice buck like usual, but to just execute, you know, make the clean shot, have the that deer go do his 100-yard dash and, and pile up, you yeah. know, just to respect the animal and make it a quick, quick kill. Sure, sure. So you, you get the pictures uh, done, which pictures turned out beautiful too. Like they did justice to this deer. I mean, just fantastic. Um you get the deer home. You're cleaning them out. What did you What did you learn? Like, what'd you hit? Was it just a straight gut shot, or you know, we all kind of analyze this stuff after the shot, and sometimes it adds up, and sometimes it doesn't. My arrow was not covered in heavy blood. It was. It had like a white, uh, like kind of tallow on it with some blood, like it had gone through a bone or something. Hmm. And I looked and looked and looked in that chest cavity, and it did not look like that arrow hit a single bone. It, it went through the vitals. It should have been covered in, in blood, and 
not stomach contents. I actually, I didn't hit the stomach or intestines as far as I could tell. Um, but I'm kind of baffled on what the arrow looked like. And we, we really studied that arrow that night trying to figure out what to do. You know, should we, should we look more? Where was the deer hit? Um, you know, I, I was pretty confident I saw exactly where I hit, but based off of how the arrow looked, the the dog tracker guy, he he was not so sure I saw things accurately. Yeah. You know, that you used the same dog tracker that I had, uh, that I had called earlier in the season <clears throat> when I missed a, a really, or when I hit a really good buck and, and didn't recover it. Um, you know, the, the guy's great. I want to get him, I'd like to get him on the podcast too, just to hear some of his uh, you know, crazy tracking stories, but you know, that is one of the things that we talked about when, when I called him, he was like, you know, you'd be surprised of how, how often the, the arrow doesn't hit quite where you remember it hitting. And, uh, I ended up getting a picture of that deer that I shot and he was right. It was a little bit, I'm not, it wasn't off by much, but it was a little bit further forward. And I think the angle that the deer was standing at when I shot him, you know, I think that kind of threw off where I, thought I hit him. So with this buck, how far, you know, what did, did you remember pretty close to where you hit him or when you recovered him, were you like, ah, maybe I was a little further back or a little lower or. Yeah. So, um, Robert, we, I don't know, probably won't mention his last name, but Robert, the, the tracker, great guy. Um, very knows his stuff, really knows his stuff. And I agreed with him with some of the sign that we were seeing didn't quite add up to what I thought I saw. But I do take great pride in that I did get to tease Robert once we found it and rolled that deer over. And I pointed to exactly where that arrow hit. I'm like, that is exactly where I told you that arrow went in. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So the arrow just for some odd reason just didn't, the arrow lied to you. Yeah, I I will never understand how it had that white tallow-looking stuff on it that looked like it went right through the middle of a rib or maybe a shoulder blade or something, but it didn't. Interesting. Interesting. Well, we've we've buried the lead pretty hard on this episode. We've had the whole story. We've told everybody it was a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a deer. Now, people who've clicked on this to listen to it, they're going to have seen a picture. But tell us a little bit about this deer. What is he? What does he look like? Uh, width measurements what what can you tell us to sort of paint a picture for us so weight body weight um he was about 250 pounds live weight he was 220 after field field dressing him uh 22 inch spread 12 points and rough score on him is about 170 it's a giant yeah well for me, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a giant anywhere you go. So, I mean, that's got to be, man, this is the third fall that you've owned the property. Yep. Is that right? And obviously the largest deer that you've taken off the property, but that's got to feel real good. Yeah, it feels great. Um, spent a lot of work to obtain the property. I spend lots of time out there not hunting, but trying to figure out how to retain the property. I'm I'm not independently wealthy, and there's a farmhouse on the property there that I have rented to help pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I spend hundreds of hours out there working, cleaning up the the old buildings, trying to improve it, um, fix up the house enough for the tenants to be a respectable, you know, home for them. So there's lots and lots of hours that have gone into 
just being able to have land to go hunt on. Yeah, yeah. This is not just money. It's blood and sweat and yeah. lots of uh, lots of sweat equity yes. going into this property. All right, so Jared, it's a beautiful buck. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to have some pictures posted along with this podcast so folks can see it. Um, but I think just as important as the the size of the trophy um, are the memories that you're going to have of this deer and the lessons that this deer uh, taught you. So, you know, what what'd you learn from this buck? What are what are things that you're taking into your next couple of seasons? You know, based off of this deer and what he what you learned from him. Yeah, I might not answer in the way you're thinking because I should probably talk about something I learned in my hunting skills or something in my toolbox that's going to add to my success for next season. But for me, I think the lesson really was, or the aha, after bow hunting for 37 years, I always wondered how would it feel to actually get a monster buck? Mm. Like, Would it change my life? Would it make me happy for the next year you know like what what impact would it have on me and i think it's important for people to i'm sure we all react differently but the lesson for me was it's awesome you know but it's just icing on the cake you gotta love bow hunting you gotta love everything about it and if you get a great deer like that it's just icing on the cake it's it doesn't it doesn't make you anything special it doesn't change anything you know, so for all the guys out there wondering, am, am I ever going to get a buck like that, or I, or are super driven, feeling like they have to to somehow prove themselves or something, I would say don't worry about it. I mean, it's awesome. It is totally awesome. I've loved talking to people about it. It's been really fun. But what really matters is you as a person. You know, you, what matters in life, your the integrity that you have, the you know, teaching kids how to hunt. Um, there's just all these things that are so much more important. And if you do one day get that monster buck, you're going to love it, but it's not what matters. It's just the icing on the cake. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's one of the, one of the things that I've appreciated about you is since we met, you know, we talk about, we talked a lot about you taking your kids hunting and uh, I look forward to learning a lot from you in the next couple of years as my kids begin to get into that age of, um, you know, starting to go out with me and hunting with me as well. So, Jared, we've been going for uh, almost an hour here. So uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, even though you maybe didn't want to. <laughs> but like I said, that's what you get for yeah. befriending a podcaster. Glad to talk about hunting anytime. All right, that's it for this episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. Follow along with us on social media. And, uh, hey, you know it's a weird day here in southern Wisconsin. It's going to be almost 70 degrees today in December, which is is, is nuts. Uh, it's crazy. But don't let that stop you from getting outside and uh, doing what you need to do to get it done. So if you've got some deer tags in your pocket still, keep grinding. If you uh, don't have any deer tags left over, then, man, get outside, chase some ducks. Get outside, chase some pheasants. Get your ice fishing gear out and ready for whenever these super hot temperatures roll out of here and we finally get some ice uh, and, and can start fishing. Whatever it is, just do something to get outside and enjoy the amazing resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.